It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 282, The Sermon on the Mount, Part 3. Matthew 6, 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is a good one. Fasting should always be in secret, unless it's done with the corporate body if you want to see your reward, right? I mean, there is fasting. Many churches will fast uh, once or twice a year, and that's great. I mean, that, that's fine. Do it with your buddies. Do it with your Bible study friends. Uh, do it with the, the, the people in your men's group or women's group. Uh, that's great. Uh, but a general fast, and, and Jesus makes the point of a fast. Uh, a fast is something you do for God, not for man. A fast for outward glory will only give you outward glory. If you And if you want to know more about fasting, there's a lot of books out there. Um, I think Jenna's and Franklin's probably got the most popular one out there, and it's really good. I read it. It's a simple read, profound, and a good summary of fasting's purpose and its use. Matthew six nineteen. Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. A friend of mine started a resale shop in Snoqualmie, Washington, taking the profits to dig wells in Africa for those who face extreme poverty. He wrote a book about it, uh, but he, he actually called his shop Treasures in Heaven. It's an awesome shop, and you can find some crazy cool stuff there uh, because it, it's his act of faith. And so far, I think the revenues from the shop has paid for eight wells in Africa. Uh, it's an, a pretty, pretty amazing testimony, uh, and it's, it's kind of part of his journey. But think on this verse, though. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, but in heaven. And I like to understand it this way. When you die one day, God will never ask you how much money you ended up with. No, it's not the game of life. The winner is is the one who believes in God and serves him wholeheartedly. I, I say it in this simple way, and I've heard this before. When you go to heaven, there's two questions. The first question is, is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Or did you accept Jesus? And, and, and did you live for him? And if the answer is yes, you enter heaven. If not, you cannot enter heaven and you end up in hell, which is horrid, a place which was designed for the devil. Uh, But if you don't accept Jesus, what is your outcome? If your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life, you enter into your inheritance and the place prepared before you. And that second question is, what did you do with your life? The second question is, did you obey the voice of your Father in heaven? And in heaven, your reward is subject to the obedience to God in your life. It's, it's your reward for what you did on earth. Obedience to God leads to heavenly fruit. 
This heavenly fruit is souls that were saved, people impacted, expansion of the kingdom of heaven through the Holy Spirit in you. This is your inheritance. This is the treasures in heaven. The poor man you cared for, the handicapped you drove to church, the orphan you took in, the widow you supported, the souls saved on the way to work, on the bus, in your marketplace, the mission field. This is heavenly fruit. It's not the money in your bank account. It's not the what you got because of all your labors. It's, it's the heavenly fruit of obedience for Christ. This is treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 12. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy and your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In this case, Jesus speaks to the lust of money. Not the lust as we think of lust, but the lust of money. It's the coveting of your neighbor's goods. In God's eyes, money is just an object. In summary, the, the money should serve man, not man serve money. There's a bizarre ber- verse by Jesus later that makes sense in this context. And you have to compare these two to understand both in a way. In Matthew 6.24, it, it states, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, compare this to Luke 16.9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This is how Jesus ended the parable of the shrewd manager. The point of the parable is that money should serve man, not man serve money. Be shrewd with money, not man. And money should serve man. And don't you dare put money over your faith, your friends, or receive a bribe, or reduce your integrity for personal gain, or even survival, right, if you don't have money, but you still bow your knee to pay the bills, or or you bow your knee to to do something you wouldn't normally do, that's putting money over your integrity, over your faith, over the obedience to Jesus. This is the issue at stake. 1 Timothy 6.10 would even say money is the root of all evil. Matthew 6.25 Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your own life? My wife, Janelle, loves this verse. She asked for her birthday a painting or artwork of a picture of of birds with the writing, Look at the birds. And it's so true. Animals don't worry about tomorrow. They don't have to worry about provision. It just happens. If you worry, look at the birds. Matthew 6, 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not spin or labor. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, 
What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. Need we say more? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. I have a crazy story to add to this one. I remember a long time back when we had a fire in our backyard once when we lived in, on, on about an acre in Arkansas. We lost part of our fence and a lawnmower. Um, I think it burned a tree. Um, and it was all an accident, but uh, it really freaked me out. And no one was hurt. And, and I was driving to work the next week, and I was still pretty worked up about it. It's not every day you have a fire on your property. And it, and it even worked me up, and I, I worried you know, another fire would happen again at my house. And I was mulling over this over and over, worry and fear, and dealing with some trauma of the previous week's events, when I ended up at a stoplight close to my office on the way to work. I sat there and sat there at the light. There was no cars behind me, but I swore I sat there for two full cycles and my light re- and the light continued to remain red the whole time on the on the stoplight. And I stared at the light and wondered what is going on, right? And and I watched the light of the opposing light or the adjacent light turn red, expecting my light to turn green, but instead other turning lights came on that went from red to green. And then the previous light turned back green again, and it completely skipped me. And I, and I even, I think I even remember I wanted to pull my car up and down, you know, if it was one of those, you know, that's waiting on some kind of weight to set it off. And I leaned back in my car seat, and, and I said, what is going on? And then I heard the voice of the Spirit. What are you worried about? I will protect you. Never again did I worry about another fire. Fear is believing in worst case scenarios and still living in that moment of trauma from you know an eventful moment that occurred the voice of god replaced my fears and worry went away replaced by perfect love and then the light turned green first john 4:18 perfect love cast away fear matthew 7 do not judge or you will be judged For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And I think this is seriously self-explainable. Uh, the root here is pride, insecurity. Don't compare yourself to others and judge others or you'll be judged. Just get on social media, step foot in a high school today, you'll see the system of judgment and comparison out there. And as Christians, don't participate, but instead be the light. Walk in a greater way, which is love. For a biblical reference to this plank in the eye is completely like, in your face, it's the Pharisees who judged Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, but went so far as to plot to kill him on a Sabbath. All for religious reasons. Matthew 7, 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. 
And I think this Pearls to Pig verse is super interesting. This is why Jesus showed us his circle of friends, his three best friends, his 12, the 120, and the 300, and then the entire church. He only spoke to the level of trust he had with the smaller groups. He blesses and trusts those who have gained this trust over time. There is only things you should tell your wife, your parents, your family, your friends, and then the public. It's good to have trust and to share your life with others, but you should only share things of importance with those you trust. Put it this way, a person's trust is measured by the faithfulness of your relationship. And if you trust someone outside of the extent of your relationship, you risk giving your pearls to pigs. Now we get to hunger, which we've talked about so much. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. This is Jesus' permission to pursue him with recklessness, relentlessness. He will always answer. And this is the concept of God's promises. If he says it, he will do it. So if it's in the Bible and you believe it, that's called faith. And if it's it's declared in the Bible as a promise or a blessing for you, declare it over your life and believe it. That's faith. If you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. We just watched Sabina, Tortured for Christ, the Nazi years, uh, which is, uh, I, think we, I think we rented or we saw it online. Um, it's a story of Richard and Sabina Wormbrandt, the future founders of the Voice of the Martyrs. Richard Wormbrandt was a devout atheist, but after almost dying from tuberculosis, he started to seek God. He prayed to God in a matter of words. He said, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Soon after, he encounters a man who comes to him and asks if he was Jewish. He said he was born Jewish, but he wasn't practicing. The man replies, I've been praying to find a Jew, and you must be him to give this Bible to and to pray with and to talk about Jesus. Richard Wormbrandt walked right into this scripture. He asked Jesus if he was real, and God revealed himself. Ask and you will receive. I met a guy on a bus one day on the way to Seattle, and it didn't have long. Somehow we started talking about church and God. He said he wasn't religious, and I said I wasn't either, but I have a relationship with Jesus, and there's a distinct difference. I told him my testimony as brief as possible, and then I told him, that's my story, but yours is different. Do me a favor. Um, he said, sure. I said, if, if there really is a God, ask him to reveal himself to you. After all, he sent me here to talk to you. And he shook his head. He said he would do that. And <laughs> I actually never seen him since. Uh, but I believe that he did ask God if he was real. And I'm sure God did answer him. Matthew 7, 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is interesting how it says, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. But before this, it says your Father in heaven gives good gifts to those who ask him. In a matter of words, this implies that the law and the words of the prophets were a good gift of the Father. And it was. But a greater manifestation and glory of God is present with them right now. 
Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is the reality of the world we live in. It's good versus evil. The wide gate and broad road are the easy roads of life and the way of sin, the way of the flesh. But small is the gate, and narrow is the way of God, and only a few find it. Matthew 7.15 Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Here, Jesus reinterprets the discernment of spirits and the determination of true or false prophets. While the Old Testament states a prophet is proven correct by his words and their fulfillment, the New Testament states a prophet is proven correct by his fruit. His words are important, but the fruit of his life was the easiest way to test character. The same holds true today of pastors. Not that pastors are prophets, uh, but they can be judged by their character. See a pastor today preaching with great clarity and amazing anointing, but if you see him personally yelling at his assistant, or if you learn he is unfaithful to his wife, leave that church immediately, or you may become a future victim. There's always time for reconciliation, um, but you judge, judge a person, a Christian leader today, by their fruit. Not necessarily the amount of books they've written or the number of people in their church or their, or their net worth, but by the love they carry, by the, the peace that's in their heart, by the anointing that you feel when they preach. Those, those are true men and women of God. This is how you know believers by their fruit. Matthew 7, 21, true and false disciples. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So this is a gut check verse of anyone, for anyone. It's complicated, but even unbelievers can operate in power. That's the complicated part. Even the sons of Sceva from Acts 19, they casted out demons. They weren't even believers, but they understood the power of the name of Jesus, but they lacked relationship with God himself. And, and I remember when I started learning about spiritual gifts, um, it was constantly balanced um, with this verse. Gifts and power of God are, are no sign of spirituality, actually, uh, but only the consequence of it. And if you get out of alignment and lean too far from God's power outside of relationship, um, even if you're out there doing evangelism and and you're, you know, you're you're reaching an incredible faith and you're seeing amazing things, understand it. We worship Him in spirit and truth, and God always wants to balance us. And there's a reminder. And if you if you go too far. 
out of relationship and and you're you're still out there preaching and you're still out there doing amazing things but you get too far out of alignment um, there's a strong feeling god will quicken this verse to you and it's lord lord did we not to conclude this episode we end with the end of the sermon on the mount um, the house built on the sand the historical significances of this verse is spectacular, but there's also a spiritual and personal um, element to it, which is which is just powerful. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Clearly, the foundation of the rock is Christ. That's the entire purpose in a nutshell of the, you know, the build your house on the rock. And it's way beyond the little piggy story, right? History is filled with houses built on the sand. It's about men's souls and their projects in the flesh collapsing when God proves that he can just shake them just so slightly. Any foundation not built on God will collapse. Jesus' teaching here goes much deeper to even explain cities like Pompeii which is built in the path of pyroclastic flows to engineering projects like the unsinkable Titanic. There's a thread throughout human history of cause and effect of the worst decisions made in the flesh, decisions made without prayer. Even to Israel's history, Herod, who built his kingdom on the abilities of himself and his great power and his manipulation, his control and his murders, his lasting testament was a city on a hill, Jerusalem, which he'd, he'd made it absolutely stunning, which has now been virtually stripped from his family by the Romans. His life's work taken from his family and dynasty upon his death. At a deeper personal level, is the spiritual decisions in life. We have to consider and ponder with fear and trembling the Lord. And back to those two questions, right? The first one, you know, just it's not going to go exactly like this, right? But, this, you know, did you accept Jesus? And what did you do with your life? You know, the first one, did you accept Jesus? Is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? This is the most important decision to make in your life. It's a question of life or death, heaven or hell. Is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And do you serve him? It is is those who ask for God to forgive them of their sin and recognize his salvation. Those are the ones whose names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you haven't yet, take this time. Ask for God to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to come into your heart and make you a new creation. To set you on fire for him. To free you from the bondage of sin as you recognize his salvation. Do this right now. Ask for God to forgive you. Get on your knees. Cry out to God to be saved. This is the most important decision of your entire life. And the rest... Um, the rest, that second question, what you'll do with your life, that'll all, that'll all just happen. 
your purpose, your life's work, and the reason for being will follow in time as you give your heart to Jesus. Do it if you haven't yet. And for anyone who's, you know, made your decision to follow Jesus, email me at message to kings at gmail.com. Whether it is now, two months from now, or two to three years from now, email us at message to kings at gmail.com. And we'll even send you materials to help you in your Christian walk. Bless you, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Um, you know, as far as that second question, you know, the first one, did you accept Jesus? And then number two, um, what have you done with your life? What did you do with this gift of life? You know, I might just reserve that for the talents episode. Um, and we'll do an entire, um, we might just devote the whole episode on, on making the most of God's gift. Um, the gift of God within you. Yeah, I think we'll do that. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in this episode of Message to Kings. And uh, check out the website, messagetokings.com. Feel free to connect with us at messagetokings at gmail.com.